This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including e-books and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of New Books in Japanese Studies, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I am Jeannie Lee from the University of Arizona. Joining us today is Dr. Victoria Kim. She is the chief editor of a new volume, The Politics of International Marriage in Japan, which was published by Rutgers University Press this month. Uh, Victoria is currently an associate professor of sociology at Osaka University in Japan. This book is an in-depth analysis of international marriage in contemporary Japan. The authors explore how relationships are affected by Japan's policies on marriage, migration, and gender. Welcome, Dr. Kim. Uh, Victoria, thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, Can you tell us briefly about yourself, actually? Um, What do you mainly research and teach about uh, okay so my um uh, well i i'm originally from kazakhstan and uh, i studied japanese language when i was uh, there for my undergraduate degree and when i came to japan um i came here for um to study at uh, graduate school and i decided to i was interested in uh women's position in society uh and then uh I kind of stumbled across the topic of international marriage because it got very popular at that moment in um, like post-Soviet countries. And I was wondering how it is like in Japan. And I started looking for Russian couples uh, in Japan. And so that's how my research topic went went into international marriages. Uh, Then eventually... Uh, because I studied sociology for my graduate degree, I uh, when I graduated, I'm mostly uh, since I graduated, I mostly have been teaching uh, sociology related topics in uh, English program in Osaka University, and um, I teach about multicultural societies, international marriages, uh, Japanese society, and so forth. So these are my um, like research topics, current research topics, and they're related to, like, my teaching as well. 
Sounds great. So what prompted you and the co-authors to work on this volume? And might I ask, um, the book cover is very cute. Um, two little figures on the continent of Japan with balloons of hearts. Is there a story behind this cover? Uh, yes. Uh, so thank you. So uh, I I was um, offered by the uh, Rutgers uh, editor, uh, Jasper Chan, uh, to start thinking about book cover uh, a while ago. And um, my brother, he can uh, do a lot of editing. He does uh, website covers. So we uh, talked about it and I told him I want some map there and I wa- want hearts falling down from the sky. And... Um, I gave him general idea, and when this one came, um, well, I liked it a lot. Uh, and then I made a couple of photos, but when I sent them to uh, our editor Jasper, uh, he was like, "Oh, this one stands out stands out the most, so we want this one." And so that's how we got into this book cover. So, but uh, as for the book, um, I actually, I was um, thinking that uh, after writing my PhD thesis on this topic, I was thinking that I need to do publishing, um, like, and write book. And while I was thinking, uh, the uh, editor of this series, The Politics of Marriage and Gender, um, Peter Berta, uh, he actually contacted me. He found me on Academia, and he contacted me and um, invited to contribute to the series. And that's how like um, I decided to write this book. So and so I invited uh, other two authors because they had available data, data sets. Uh, while my main uh, research topic is international marriage, their main research topic is a bit different. But uh, because it was my initiative, uh, that's how it worked out. That's amazing. Now, this word, this this phrase, international marriage, we hear it very often. We talk about, it, but um, in this book, um, how do you define it? Can you give us a brief definition of international marriage? So, uh, usually, uh, these sort of marriages, uh, they are called like mixed marriages or cross border marriages. Uh, the very like general. Uh, name for these marriages is cross-border marriages because it's one of the spouses who crosses border for uh, marriage or partnership reasons. And uh, that's why we call them uh, cross-border marriages. But uh, here, uh, first thing, it was... um, in Japanese language, it's called kokosaike-kon, and uh, if we have direct translation, it will be international marriage. Uh, that's uh, That was the first reason why I decided to go with uh, international marriage uh, rather than um, cross-border marriage, because it shows the... Um, like it's it geographically locates these marriages um, in Japan, and second reason is because it is not only about crossing borders; it's about different legal, political, and uh, social influences on uh, marriage. That's why I decided that it should be international marriage that will show these different types of. Um, relationship between countries 
relation between people uh, that are included in this that is not really emphasized in cross-border marriage terms. So that's how it became uh, international marriage. And are there a lot of international marriages in Japan or has there been an increase? Um, And I guess what's more important is, do they usually end well? Okay, so this is a hard question. Um, The number of international marriages uh, has been increasing from uh, 1980s, from mid-1980s till 2005-2006. And uh, there were different um, reasons for uh, these marriages to uh, increase. First, it was... Um, rural marriages, uh, and then there was like a, a bit of mail-order bride, uh, like so-called mail-order bride marriages, and uh, then there was uh, a big group of uh, entertainers who came to Japan to work in, uh, like as hostesses, uh, like in the bars where they entertain people by singing and drinking with them. Um, so and uh, a lot of those women started getting married to Japanese men, but um, there was a, a bit of uh, kind of a, a pol- political movement in uh, two thousand five, two thousand from starting from two thousands actually, uh, where Japan was listed as one of the countries that is participating in human trafficking, and uh, like. Um, and she, uh, Japan was listed as tier two country by uh, American Department uh, of State. Uh, I think that was uh, compiling this trafficking in humans report. And since then, the uh, entertainer visa was uh, really reduced, and uh, and the issuance of uh, this visa. Um, uh, was reduced for women who come from Philippines or former Soviet Union countries. And since then, the number started, uh, really dropped drastically. So by 2004, 2005, there was like more than 40,000 marriages, um, international marriages. And then since then, the number dropped and um, like went up like all the way to 20,000 per year. And uh, currently uh, they started going up again, but uh, it's not, it, they did not reach uh, such huge level as it was in 2000s. And as for divorces, yes, uh, there are more divorces among international couples than uh, among, uh, let's say, endogamous Japanese couples. So, and um, for we we cannot really calculate how many marriages end up in um, divorces, but usually for uh, twenty thousand divorce uh, married couples uh, these days there are there is about eleven twelve thousand uh, divorcing couples. So it's uh, the statistics is quite uh, like well the the statistics of divorces is quite uh, big, let's say. Yeah. Indeed, that was, it was it's, it's a bit surprising to hear. Um, and this whole international marriage thing sounds actually quite complicated um, historically. So what aspects in this book do you focus on to um, unpack the problems in international marriage? Uh, 
So, well, my idea was to start from first how these marriages are viewed uh, from outside. And um, I went into this academic discourse on international marriages. And because there are plenty of studies uh, that um, address international marriages, uh, I like looked through these and I tried to uh, kind of identify how they present uh, couples and how they present uh, partners in these uh, marriages. So I um, like I talk about this academic discourse from camera lens perspective, so you can see like uh, as as if we look at the photograph or compare different images and uh, how people are presented in these images. So that was uh, for like academic discourse chapter. And the next chapter was uh, to discuss uh, historical background of the international marriages when they started. And uh, I actually, when I started reading uh, secondary sources, I found out that um, the unions between Japanese and um, foreigners uh, can be traced all the way till uh, 17th century. So, uh, and it was very interesting to see how the state was treating them um, uh, at different periods of time. So then there is like this historical background. And from that point, um, we like, uh, that's where like uh, my co-authors uh, come in, uh, where we start talking about actual couples. And well, first thing is who marries whom? And uh, I think this is a big question that everybody is interested because it's like, well, why do particular people decide to get married with foreign uh, nationals? And that's where um, I thought of, uh, okay, well, um, uh, we can think about this economic conditions. We can think about attraction of Japan as like very different cultural uh, place. And uh, so I was thinking how to combine all these couples. And um, I came up with these four categories uh, for those ones who are inside Japan, who met inside Japan, for those ones who met outside Japan. And so like uh, that's the chapter on uh, how people choose each other. And then um, there is chapter on love. And because one of, again, uh, another big question is, well, do they really love each other? And um, so again, here, it's not about, well, yes, they do love each other, or no, they don't love each other. It's about how we, um, like, how the state looks at the at love uh, in marriages and how people look at it and how they might have very different understanding and it's a uh, general uh, because we we are talking about migration process uh, that is happening simultaneously with marriage and how this uh, migration process is affected um, uh, affects the idea of love in these marriages. So that was the idea of the chapter. And then um, other two chapters, next two chapters, uh, talk actually about how people organize their life uh, already w- while they're in marriage, how they negotiate uh, different aspects of their lives. And also one of the chapters, um, later chapter, is about 
children, in uh, mixed heritage children, and uh, mostly about, of course, how couples uh, work on um, their uh, like bilingual skills, bicultural skills. So these are like uh, also important aspects. And we kind of, I finished there on a bit sad note uh, on international divorce, but I think it's uh, kind of uh, because it's not only about marriage; it's also about how, like, um, uh, recently I talked with one of my professors who said, "Well, you know, marriage is uh, like one moment in life, and then there is very long life after that. Uh, so, how do you talk about this part?" And um, yes. Uh, I tried to cover different aspects, and of course, divorce it was a very important part of um, uh, that life because uh, there is, like, there are conflicts, and some conflicts do not end well; they end in divorce. So um, that's uh, I thought that this is important uh, bit that we should cover. So this is briefly about yeah. Um, I'd like to return to uh, one of the earlier points you made uh, about the historical background of international marriage. So um, one focus of this book um, is the government policies. So can you tell us more about the policies um, from the government after the Second World War, um, after Japan sort of um, opened up to the global um, to the other countries? Uh, okay, so after the Second World War, uh, the, uh, the uh, biggest number of international marriages, marriages back then was with uh, Jap- uh, between Japanese women and foreign men, actually. And uh, those marriages uh, were uh, like uh, with... Uh, soldiers from allied powers um, that were in Japan, stationed in Japan. And uh, those marriages were not really encouraged. And uh, many of them were actually, like there was a lot of bureaucratic uh, issues. And uh, so couples could not live together. And they had to like jump through a lot of hoops in order to uh, finally live with each other or get married with each other and um but there were like uh the beginning was uh, was with uh these unions and uh the statistics on international marriages appears in um japanese sources from 1965 official japanese sources um so and uh, at that point there was uh, 4000 uh, 4065 i think international marriages and the majority were between uh, japanese women and foreign men but then uh, these numbers uh, like still uh, there were like majority of japanese women getting uh, married with foreign men for a while but i think by 1970s uh, this number reversed and uh, around 1970s uh, this number reversed and then later since then the majority of marriages are usually between uh, japanese men and foreign women even though like when I talk to my students and uh, when I ask them um, how many do you think um, 
like uh, who gets married with foreign nationals more uh, Japanese women or Japanese men uh, they tend to say that it is Japanese women because uh, there is this tendency well first of all if you go to the uh, in walk around in Tokyo or Osaka uh, you will see a lot of international couples uh, 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 of Western men and um, Japanese women, and they are more visible because uh, when it comes to marriages between Japanese men and uh, foreign women, there are a lot of Asian women, and they might be less visible. So the general image is that there are more Japanese women getting married uh, with foreigners, but actually it's the other way around. Well, that's good to hear. Another question that I think a lot of people will be interested um, about international marriage is do they actually love each other? But you just mentioned that it's really not about the answer of whether uh, yes, they do or no, they don't. So in this book, how do your studies um, approach this question and what did you find? So uh, it, it was it was kind of... Uh, bothering me for a while uh, uh, what is this idea of uh, do these people love each other or not and because we all have it's not one reason to get married right we have multiple reasons to choose partners and um, when I looked at international couples and when I was asking them actually about uh, well why did you get married with each other and different people were giving me very different reasons right uh, some women were like well it's not about money it's because he takes care good care about me i know he will be like very good uh, husband that's why i chose him and um well uh, some men were like well she she's blonde i like blondes that's why like i got married with her uh, one one of the men he actually gave very kind of rational reason he was well i think uh western women quite emancipated and japanese women are too traditional and russians are somewhere in between so they they can have fun but then at the same time they be traditional so that's what i like about uh russian women so they they had these different reasons and um but can we say that it is love? Maybe for them it is love. And uh, but uh, so the opposite question was like, well, how they will uh, uh, this will be measured by the state, and how uh, what do they have uh, to how how they have to show their love so they uh, it it can be accepted by the state and uh, they can get the spouse visa. Uh, they can prove their love, and uh, so I found several papers that was uh, that were actually discussing what sort of measures different consulates around the world, uh, those were European consulates, have in order to uh, detect whether the couple loves each other, uh, what sort of questions they ask, and then at that point I remember that uh, it happens in the same way in Japan because I've heard from some women um, 
one of the couples, they had uh, to more than 20 years age difference among my participants. And uh, the husband, when I was interviewing him, he was like, oh, I was accused of human trafficking. They thought that I would bring my wife here to Japan and sell her to, uh, like, uh, send her to uh, sell sex. And um, then I was like, oh, so, like, you also... Uh, like asked by the uh, consulate by uh, officials about like uh, your relationship and then uh, some other women uh, started coming up and uh, they were talking about how if if the marriage is um, considered to be like a marriage for convenience uh, of convenience uh, they would be invited to interviews in the consul, uh, in the immigration office, uh, immigration police, and they would be uh, asked questions separately. So the husband will be asked questions, and then the wife will be asked the same set of questions, and then uh, they will compare their answers. And so they would ask questions like, oh, which side of the bed does your husband sleep on? Uh, uh, when do you have uh, like garbage days? Like uh, for like uh, what else? What is the brand of your television? So to detect whether they leave each other. And um, so what I realized um, there there were questions uh, like oh, what is the color of uh, your husband's underwear today? And some of the women uh, that were in my focus group they were like, well, I have no idea. Like I didn't pay attention today. How how can these women respond to these questions? So that was very interesting, and I realized that uh, there is this image of how international marriage should be, international couples should uh, like communicate, should uh, be, and um, th- uh, this image is compared to what, uh, like, to the reality of these couples. And uh, so because this contrast was very interesting and how couples define their love and uh, their relationship and how the state defines it, so that's where like, I talked about their love. That's very interesting indeed. And I assume um, how love is measured uh, differ in different cultures, right? So um, how how do you think um, the role of cultural differences is in international marriages? The role of cultural differences? Uh, it it's a very interesting question. I can see a lot of couples uh, suffering because of their cultural differences, and but they do not. Uh, they tend not to acknowledge it. And actually, in the beginning of the book, uh, I placed several citations that actually reflect this. And uh, one of the uh, persons uh, who was Japanese husband of a Russian wife, he said, well, my wife is, first of all, my wife. She is not a Russian person. She is not somebody else. She is a wife. And I see her as a woman. But I think uh, they kind of tend to overlook uh, this idea that uh, we come with this cultural baggage uh, and uh, like a lot of our definitions and interpretations come from culture. And um, uh, I... Uh, 
there was another like uh, there was many examples where uh many women were telling me like well you know men essentially are the same and um like so like outside they might look differently but inside they're all the same and uh, so when i actually looked into this um this is not uh like this cultural difference issue uh, it it wasn't really covered um in, in this book in this sort of like from this cultural perspective but i have another paper where i see how women and men actually look at each other uh, like at their actions and how they interpret and their expectations towards each other and so in this book um, we talked about how they um, uh, these cultural differences appear in household organization Um, so whether they like uh, whether they organize household based on Japanese traditions and customs or on uh, like like based on uh, foreign spouses customs and how they actually decide and what are the factors that um, kind of affect this sort of decisions so um, that was the idea of these cultural differences um, discussed in the book that's very interesting. So would you say this is more about uh, different uh, understanding of gender roles in different cultures then? Yes, uh, I think it's uh, it's uh, very much gender roles. And it's also uh, like uh, families where couples socialized and uh, also the ideal uh, images of what is it how it is supposed to be uh, because in many cases I uh, there were couples where uh, let's say um, I had one of the participants she said well in my uh, family home it was um, like there was no order uh, gender roles were like uh, really distorted like uh, my mom was working my father was working and when um, like uh, everybody did something um, so like as they thought is necessary and so they to kind of like uh, to fulfill their roles there was no really clear division of labor and uh, she said that's why like in my own home I'm doing it the way uh, it is convenient for me, so that's how I organize this. But uh, there were also couples, uh, uh, women uh, who were raised by just their mothers, and it was interesting how they were providing this. Well, uh, husband should be this way. Uh, they have to uh, do this sort of things uh, inside the home and outside the home, and um, so I think it's their general ideal, and they are looking into how to shape their family relationship, their couple relationship into this ideal image. So that was uh, also one of the ways um, for them to organize their life. Fascinating. When I was reading about that part in the book, um, it reminded me of stories that my friends told me. Um, well, my friends, they were uh, many of them, many of my international friends, non-Japanese friends, they were telling me how they broke up with their Japanese boyfriends because their Japanese boyfriends weren't happy that they weren't making them breakfast every day. And uh, it, it was 
after after reading this book, um, that part somehow made more sense. <laughs> but this brings me to uh, my next question, which is the sadder part of your book. So you mentioned that divorce rate uh, of international marriages is higher than non-international ones. What are some of the reasons? Reasons. Well, uh, again, I think there is no one particular reason uh, usually, and it kind of it piles up. And um, uh, of course, uh, one of the difficulties for women to uh, for for foreign women in Japan to divorce in divorce is that what will happen with uh, them and with their children after the divorce. So many. Uh, I it's not an easy decision, and um, the the way it is organized in Japan is that women are uh, like totally dependent on their husbands economically after they get married, and um, and the the system of uh, like uh, kindergartens, the system of schools, it requires one of the parents uh, to be like more or less. Uh, like um, to have more free time so they can take care of children, take care of the household. And uh, because of that, and because of, of course, when women migrate to Japan, um, they they can do like limited number of work, uh, of jobs, right? And uh, their income is quite low compared to men. So when this sort of... Uh, problems come up uh, when they decide to like uh, it can be like some domestic issues of course uh, there are cases of uh, domestic violence Um, they're not prevalent but there are cases of uh, violence uh, and that's where women have to get get divorced but uh, like misunderstandings or just lack of communication and some women just say well we don't talk we like there is no conversations and um, one of the women uh, whose example I was I actually um, wrote in the book um, she said well when he was at home I was really annoyed and when he was away like uh, living uh, overseas uh, at work uh, I, I felt so like comfortable and peaceful so and um and she said we didn't talk we like it was the stage where we stopped even fighting so we just didn't talk and um there were other couple of women who also had this conversation that they didn't talk or like uh conflicts were not really like uh, already like went to the point where they did not want to live uh, with each other and so uh, at this point they like I guess there there is uh, this pile of problems of different um, issues in the couple that eventually led to the divorce right and so many women actually uh, had this question well do I stay in Japan do I go back home? And uh, what will happen with children? Uh, what will happen with me? And if I stay in Japan because uh, they're not uh, economically that um, uh, well off and they will have to work several jobs and to take care of children and so so they can uh, like survive, right? And um, 
yes, so uh, I guess even despite that, uh, there are still many couples that divorce. So my understanding there is uh, that many actually uh, women from former Soviet Union, they um, like, and I'm too, we, we come from this culture where divorce is an option. And um, so, and women do survive after divorce. So I think uh, that gives many of them this courage to still divorce and look for other uh, husbands, look or look to build their own lives. And uh, so, one of uh, I, I, what I noticed is that there were like several groups of people. Uh, one group was. Um, very pragmatic, I guess. Uh, they were like preparing beforehand. They were like, "Well, we don't know what will happen with us, and this is foreign country, and uh, so I will not um, like give birth to many children. So I will have only one child, and so I can protect myself. I can survive with one child if we just two of us. If we, I divorce, and some couples were like, "Okay, well, I." Don't really want to divorce, but well, when it if something happens, um, I will have to. So they're kind of uh, in the middle. And another group uh, was that well, it's like uh, no matter what, I'll have to stay in this marriage. So there there was these three groups, and they had the different understanding of why uh, they. Uh, would like to divorce or would not want to divorce. And so uh, based on these ideas, I think, of course, uh, that was changing with time for for some of them. But uh, usually they um, kind of had this tendency uh, either to divorce or like to stay in marriage. Yes. On a somewhat relevant note, but uh, in this case, the positions are kind of reversed. So uh, I assume you've heard of this news recently that a Frenchman sued his Japanese wife for kidnapping his own kids. And the French government, um, even though the French government issued actually a warrant for her, the Japanese government hasn't commented on this matter. So how... Do incidents like this reflect the policies for international marriage? And what are some of the problems in these um, policies from the Japanese government? Um, actually, one of the like uh, uh, participants, um, she she's a Russian woman. She she's in similar situation, and uh, she's like kind of in this similar movement with. Um, I think his name is Vincent Fischer, right? Uh, I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing it correctly. Uh, so uh, one of the problems in uh, this whole situation is that Japan doesn't have this joint custody rule. And uh, so because of that, uh, when they divorce, it's uh, like it's called clear-cut uh, divorce and um, where like the couple goes separate ways, um, and uh, it, it's very interesting. Uh, even so, there is this system, uh, Japanese Family Register, and uh, it's called Koseki in Japanese, and uh, where the family members are listed and um, a kind of registration list, and uh, 
when couples divorce, women have to, like, if uh, she's a Japanese woman, she has to leave his uh, her husband's koseki and create her own one or go back to her father's uh, family, um, like, uh, to her father's sake, but it can be, uh, they can list only two generations there, so parents and children. And uh, in that case, uh, when woman uh, becomes independent and if she creates her own koseki and brings her child there, uh, and if she decides to change her family name back, her child's name also uh, changes, family name changes. Uh, and so... Uh, what is uh, what is interesting? Um, I mean, uh, th- that's the way it is done in Japan, and well, maybe one of the uh, possible reasons is uh, to prevent um, women to like because uh, uh, I guess it is about um, I don't know to what extent it is the government's idea, but my understanding is that uh, women uh, are prevented from getting divorced that much, divorced that much. And so in order to do this, there are like different, like it's not that they are told not to get divorced, but a lot of policies, a lot of um, like uh, ways the uh, marriage is organized is about um, like uh, like h- how like it's organized legally, right? And uh, I think another also reason it was um, like I think even during Meiji period in nineteenth century, uh, the um, actually. It, it's. I think it was even earlier when couple was separating. Uh, children would stay with husband within the household, and if women wanted to leave, they would leave on their own, right? And so, uh, I guess it's uh, the like this family institution how it's organized in Japan. That's my understanding, um, and uh, that's where like uh, this problem of no joint custody uh, comes from and uh, actually I, I saw a couple of cases where and one of the cases I described in in the book where this woman she like she was used to this Russian way of doing things and when her husband uh, like and she split up uh, she was like, well, Saturday, Sundays is usually Father's Day. So, like, when couples divorce, that's how it is. And he, he was uh, picking up their child uh, every Saturday and Sunday. And just one day he escaped with the child. And then he called her and said, well, um, the child will be living with me. And, yeah, and we are divorcing. Um, and uh, so, I mean... I guess, uh, like uh, that, that's the way to organize things. That sounds like a very disturbing way, and doesn't really do good to any party in the um, in in a marriage. But um, yes, uh, uh, 
I will add to this. It's um, like essentially it's about parents and how they like split the assets, split the children, split the custody over children. Uh, but uh, there is not really much thinking about the children themselves. And um, so in uh, in the, in in the case that I described in the book, uh, actually the wife first took two children away to her home country and then her husband uh, followed them and took one child away back to Japan with him and uh, eventually what happened is that children grew up separately and they even had troubles communicating well eventually they could meet up and a younger child could uh, study Japanese language but it was kind of heartbreaking for both of them because uh, at some point uh, their mother was telling me, well, uh, because uh, the younger child who lives with me, he can speak only uh, Russian and the older child can speak only Japanese. I have to sit there and interpret for them. So there, uh, and I guess so both parents could not uh see their children like in in a civilized way and uh, children could not meet because of the adults conflicts so yes uh, we have to also think about children's side yeah i certainly hope um they improve at least part of these policies in the future but um Okay, <laughs> these these are all really heavy questions, and my last question is also kind of heavy. But uh, with the pandemic and Japan's entry bans separating families, how have international marriages been affected? Um, so it, for it, it was, uh, I think. When at the beginning of the pandemic, when uh, like the borders got closed for everybody, uh, like even for permanent residents, uh, and it was March, right? And in Japan, it's um, holiday time where when women usually go back to their home countries. So there were um, like uh, many international couples uh, who got uh, separated because of. Uh, they went to visit their grandmothers, grandfathers back in um, Russia or in uh, other women's countries. And um, because they could not come back, and uh, it's not that their children could not come back. Their children are Japanese nationals. Japanese nationals could come back, but mothers could not come back uh, because they do not uh, naturalize into Japanese citizenship. So usually it's permanent residence that they have. And um, what happened, we had, um, like, uh, there is Facebook Russian community, and they actually started, uh, like, um, like talking about this issue. A lot of women were, like, creating videos um, about, like, how they're, like, actually stranded overseas and they cannot come back to their uh, homes and children cannot come back uh, to their schools. And eventually, uh, there was organized, I think, uh, a plane from Russia to bring these uh, people back home. So uh, it was very helpful, and many couples could return. Uh, since then, I think after last year's October, um, 
what happened was that uh, since then um, spouses of Japanese nationals or like permanent uh, residents, um, they uh, it's it's called like a special kind of article, and so these people can still come back and. Um, yeah, live and come back. But of course, many of them, uh, because of the pandemic, because we don't know what will happen tomorrow, uh, many couples still uh, stay at home uh, just to avoid uh, excessive travel and, and all, all this um, like quarantine and periods where like they cannot go out of the hotel and so forth. Uh, but uh, yes, so it got much better from last to October. Uh, in the beginning, it was quite hard, but later uh, it, it got a bit easier on international couples. Uh, and it was very interesting. I organized a bit of a survey on um, for this Russian uh community and many of them were asking um i was like at the end of my question i asked do you have any questions and i've received a lot of questions when can i travel back home and so it was very interesting how they they really want to go back home and yes yeah, so it, it's uh it's a bit easier for spouses of japanese nationals it's uh more difficult for uh, other uh, for people with other types of visa actually well it's good to hear that um, some families can reunite at least but I hope more families can um, spend the holidays with their family members um, this year well thank you so much thank you so much for joining us today on the on the channel I really appreciate your time uh, thank you too for your questions and uh, it was very interesting to chat. Thank you. And for our listeners who want to learn more about this book, check out The Politics of International Marriage in Japan, edited by Dr. Victoria Kim. This is Jingyi from New Books in Japanese Studies and I will see you next year. Happy holidays. <laughs>